Well, I don't feel like I'm a part of the everyday American society, and I don't want to be, let me tell you. Okay? I do my damnedest to tear it down. A governor's task force has determined that punk rockers are society's new subversives and must be treated as such. Taxation is theft. Oh! God damn it, motherfucker! We're talking peace, love, and honor. FBI is feeling the heat. Your own conscience, your own morality, your own decision, your own self. You alone can do it. There is no authority but yourself. The BR Hates Fed Show. Welcome to the Rice Fields, motherfuckers. Hello and welcome to the BR Hates Fed Show. Today I have someone on that is supposedly my exact opposite. Like everyone else these days, we anarchists manage to fall into the trap of tribalism from time to time. Most to- mo- nah. See, I fuck up. <laughs> Most notably, so-called left anarcho-communists and right anarcho-capitalists. Well, to help me bridge this strange divide so many waste their energy on, I'm joined by a very special guest, Nikki Reed. Radical contributor at counterpunch.org, assistant editor for Attack the System, and gonzo blogger at Exile in Happy Valley, covering everything from queer anarchism to the endless wars to what the future of our search could be. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be your uh, your first podcast. So. Yeah, this is very new. Yeah, it's uh, like, I see that Counterpunch has a lot of a lot of podcasts going on, but is there like... I don't know, what's, do you know much about the lefty anarchist, like, podcast circle? Is that much of one? I know nothing about podcasts at all, to be honest with you. Um, I was asked to do one of these once before, and I chickened out for anxiety reasons. Uh, I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. I know a few people that have podcasts, but even even friends of mine that have them, I don't, I, I just never really got into the habit of listening to them. Oh, well, that, that's probably healthier. It's a it's a deep dark abyss that we all fall into. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're uh, you're agreeing to be on everyone you know's show. So, yeah. yeah sorry for the entryway drug potentially. <laughs> eh, had to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted you to get you on to discuss your April Counterpunch article. Uh, Anarchists need to drop the objectives. Which I forget how I came across it. I think an agorist on Twitter shared it, which was cool because I'm so used to kind of um, the boogaloo, anarcho-capitalist kind of crowd sharing, you know, anarcho-unity stuff. And for the most part, there's, there's like a few younger ANCOMs, Antifa kids who are like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, why are we buttonheads when we're both protesting police brutality? But the larger masses just, you know, go right into dunking on each other. And instead of actually getting some some real activism together, we just, we, we sit in our basements <laughs> bitching at each other and thinking that's somehow revolutionary. So um, what brought you to write this article? Um, personal experience. I'm not, I, I identify as a left anarchist, but I'm definitely not a typical left anarchist. Yeah. I started out as pretty stereotypical Noam Chomsky, Murray Bookchin type stuff, but I branched out into, I guess you could say I'm an ideological bag lady. <laughs> I, when I see something I like, I pick it up and I take it and I leave the rest behind. So I've been influenced by, you know, everyone from 
Antonio Gramsci to Murray Rothbard. So for me, it's not unusual for me to have followers that are all over the political spectrum. Yeah, I that, that's something I started to notice as well, like doing my own thing. Because for, for the longest time, it was just, you know, yellow and black profile picture, like every other thing was some variant on that uh, yeah. popping up in my feed. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm reaching my people, you know, but like, what what else are we doing? And, you know, you, of course you radicalize for like right-wing anarchists, we you know, or so-called right-wing anchors, we radicalize more conservative types and kind of bring them into the, the black flag fold. And, uh, you know, for my group, we try and bring them to agorism because we feel that's the most, um, you know, most effective anarchist strategy out there. But then, like, who else are we reaching? And over time, as we started to, as the police brutality stuff, like, really came into full gear in, like, 2020, and you saw just everyone starting to uh, hit on it at the start of the year, um, you saw more like ANCOMs and syndicalists, all all sorts of strange, you know, uh, sects. Just, oh yeah, really like your stuff, you know, I appreciate what you say. I have a few disagreements here and there, but for the most part, you know, like what you're saying. And, I don't know, I what, what you say in this article at the, the very beginning is, we are risking squandering another 15 minutes in the spotlight. Yeah. And, and I absolutely agree, because when you when we spend our 15 minutes like you know butting heads and saying hey i'm not like them what are we doing <laughs> yeah yeah it's it seemed like a lot of the stuff that i post is very bottom unity centric it's yeah. very much kind of trying to call people to come together and it seems like every time i tried to post something like that on social media uh i would just end up with left anarchists and right anarchists commenting, basically bashing each other back and forth or bashing me for not being left <laughs> or right enough. Um, it seems like I honestly get more, a more open-minded response from the libertarian anarchists than I do from the left anarchists these days, which makes me very sad. I think yeah. a lot of, a lot of left anarchists have, have, kind of moved into a very censorious kind of direction. Um, some of the Antifa stuff is really great. I've known some really great people involved with Antifa. I, I don't have anything against the movement in and of itself. So yeah, fascism is something that we definitely all should oppose, and it's something that definitely exists in Western society. But the whole culture of deplatforming and of... Uh, this kind of ideological purity test uh, that you have to fit these A, B, C, and D to be an anarchist, and if you if you if you fuck up just one of those, then you're an apostate. Yeah. Um, Worse than that, you're a fascist or a fascist. Yeah, or, and that that's that's the that's the really annoying thing is that anytime you disagree with Antifa the response is basically you're either with us or you're against us. Uh, it's, it's reminds me a lot of the Bush regime uh, of the way that, you know, if you're not, if you're not for blasting every Muslim uh, on the other side of the earth, then you're for, for the terrorists. <laughs> so, you know, if I, if I have a problem with uh, maybe your choice of arson for this afternoon, 
then automatically I'm a fascist somehow. Yeah, it's it's like I'm truly I'm not weeping when you put a brick through you know Target or Starbucks. Oh or yeah, yeah. But when it's like franchise and you're affecting like you know local people being able to put food on the table, yeah, then it's like really we could have like the courthouse is right there, people. Yeah, and gener- it's, it's, it looks pretty flammable. <laughs> gen- generally, I I take a I during the uprisings last year, I really enjoyed seeing both people um, willing to take direct action against certain targets, as well as people willing to rely on themselves and their neighbors to protect their small businesses. So I was kind of in an odd position of hoping that both the rioters and the so-called rooftop Koreans (laughs) could get along, you know, and that maybe even... As the anarchists pass the rooftop Koreans, the rooftop Koreans give them a wink, knowing that they're going to burn what's keeping them from making better business, some corporate welfare-sucking franchise down the street. Uh, That's kind of my dream, is that I I find myself saying this a lot, you know, uh, can we all just get along and agree (laughs) to smash the state, you know? It's it's a pipe dream, and... We were so fucking close last year. There was yeah. moments where, you know, like whatever you think of the Boogaloo crowd now, like I'm, I'm even souring a little bit because it's kind of lost the energy. It's it turned from like a very libertarian anarchist movement to a more conservatarian and conservative one. Unfortunately, as it got watered down. But um, there was there was times where you had you know guys in body armor marching with BLM protesters, and they appreciated them there because it meant you know you're not going to shoot, you're not going to escalate when you're facing a a line of people with rifles and body armor who are pissed off at you, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to keep it pretty chill. And there were cases where they, they didn't, you know, kettle crowds and like block them in and start making arrests. They were just like, just standing, you know, opposite them. And it kept things peaceful with more arms in the mix. And you also had like, um, you know, anarchists would be marching armed anarchists or libertarians would be marching with BLM people. And then, you know, three per, uh, 3% are like counter protesters or whatever, who are there to like, whatever the fuck that point was, you know, protecting business or whatever, or further than that, you know, countering BLM, they would kind of see each other and be like, kind of have this moment like, huh, we're not so different, you know? And yeah. it, it, it maybe kept things... I mean, if, if it was just, you know, BLM and 3% of the protesters, you know, that's a very different vibe than seeing this kind of, like, mixed bag. Yeah. And as, as things get more confusing... Um, with like factions and politics in this country, most people see it as like a net negative, but I'm seeing only really as fucked up and messy as it is. It's more positive. People are learning things, seeing like those strange mixes. Yeah. And what Boogaloo did last summer reminded me a lot of what Redneck Revolt did during the whole Unite the Right rally and which the, there was this kind of, um, it's absurd if you if you believe what the media tells you about guns, but the most peaceful people at the protest were the people with the biggest guns. Yeah. Uh, generally, nobody wanted to escalate. Nobody want nobody who was actually capable of escalating to that level wanted to take it to that level, and so they were essentially able to uh, to provide security for people that might uh, might have otherwise. Who knows? Um, but it's... In a, I've also seen... 
I wish I wish I could remember the name. Um, uh, the the black militia that, that came out. Oh, uh, not fucking around coalition. Is that yeah? The, back? Yeah, the not fucking around coalition. That was very interesting too. They so, uh, they there was so much potential, and then there was like a few times where they would like negligently discharge or like like uh be stopping people in their cars driving through an area i was like oh guys please just yeah. do a little bit of, do a little bit for me unfortunately you get enough people together you're gonna get a few people who are gonna fuck up oh 100 yeah yeah I, and it's so annoying because people were so there was like this real real tense like hey maybe we're on the same side when the police brutality stuff first started i even saw like the conservatives like scratching their heads like hmm yeah like maybe you know entertaining ideas they're just the briefest of ideas and then um you know it, it started there was just division like divide and conquer tactics everywhere in the media because all of a sudden these boogaloo guys marching with blm are apparently all racist fascists who are trying they just want to escalate this thing to a yeah. race war when they're putting themselves between a rubber bullet or gas and and protesters applying medical aid and stuff and then of course you know blm are all communists who want to destroy your business and just de-escalated from a few headlines and next thing you know you know these people aren't marching together and the whole the momentum was kind of lost yeah and it's it all comes from painting people in monoliths uh and and i whatever you think of joe jorgensen the one thing that i really liked about her campaign was that she stood for the Black Lives Matter movement, but not the organization. And I felt that was an important distinction to make because the movement itself is much bigger than the original organization. It's much bigger than anything anybody could control or capitalize off of. It's, you know, just kids in the streets with signs made from old boxes scrawled black lives matter it became a calling card became like black power um so the paint movements that are that grassroots and that that um decentralized and boogaloo in a lot of ways is like that too the paint them with a single brush is a great disservice uh not just to the people that they're painting but to the discourse itself um and that's that's part of the problem that's part of what the whole anarchist without adjectives thing is about is is kind of removing some of the labels so that people can look more at the individuals rather than some some manipulated idea of what the movement supposed to mean coming from the mass media yeah it, it's nice and easy to put everything in its own separate box and be like all right this is a box of bad things this is a box of good things and like this is what these things represent like when, whenever we see like a new article come out about you know someone who's tangibly related like an armed anarchist it's always right-wing nationalist anarchist and you're like whoa what the fuck does that mean <laughs> and they, yeah. they're just like inventing terms out of thin air anything to demonize them like you'll, you'll even see them chuck in like uh like crypto they, they had an interest in uh cryptocurrency and you're like are you trying to like vaguely 
tie them into Silk yeah. Road or some shit, which in itself is ridiculous. But just just the the propaganda, the extent the propaganda goes to to make us like look at each other and go, "Oh no, that guy's not in my tribe." When really, like anarchists, instead of um, being like, "Oh, I don't like those anarchists," we should be like, "Okay, what are their principles and?" Like, are they still learning, or is this, like, is this a finished person, you know, when they're talking about their ideology? And so many people don't get that when we have these, you know, these comment sections full of perfectly intelligent kids, and even adults, unfortunately, just whacking each other for, you know, choosing a yellow or a red flag, when really they should be, you know, they should be knuckling down, figuring out what they actually stand for. And when we see people get over that hump, we see people, you know... Oh, agorism's interesting. Mutualism's interesting. You know, maybe they're reading some Bakunin. They they actually dig in and figure out some stuff that's you know w- what they really believe in instead of just going from you know hitting the blue or red button voting to being in one of these anarchist tribes. It's like you're just swapping one thing for another. I, I was I was glad to see that someone was actually talking about this. You know, from the the so called left. You know, whereas I'd rather us just be one fucking block of of anarchists, but starting to, to desensitize people to this conversation i think is really important yeah um i'm definitely not the best representative of the left <laughs> no i, I mean uh, I, i'm not the best, best representative of the right <laughs> i'm well, sure a lot of people would tell me a lot of leftists would rather me not be a leftist um yeah. i i've kind of grown to embrace more of the libertarian end of the anarchist philosophies for tactical reasons um mainly voluntarism and panarchy Mm. Uh, i see the i see those as both being kind of the key to a peaceful post-state situation is that basically people can have any kind of system they want as long as it's completely voluntary as long as they can choose to leave at any time and it's basically what you get out of it, what you give into it. Um, yeah. Somewhat similar to the way the Amish are set up where near where I live. It's a very, very conservative Christian culture, but nobody's forced to stay. Uh, it's, you know, it's a very communal. Many of, well, many of the, many of them, at least, it's, it's a very diverse group of people. They're, they're, each community kind of has a slightly different take on what it means to be Amish, but the more uh, traditional groups are not only religiously conservative, but are very communistic in, in the way they handle their own small economies. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that you can choose to leave. You can choose to buy into. You can choose to be a part of it or to walk away from it. Uh, I think that that's probably a good um, a good example to go by uh, is is to kind of create these societies that are essentially voluntary in nature based on whatever really um, yeah. I, I loved how you put it a, a uh, marketplace of non-dogmatic ideologies competing in real time which is, exactly how i put it before ever hearing of you and i'm i'm so glad there's you know it's 
I'm not alone. Just like you're discovering anarchy, you're like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not yeah. crazy. This is like something people actually think about. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah, seeing like slight variations variations on you know, like you said, what the Amish do, what what any community does. It doesn't have to be when when people think of anarchy, you know, because of our public school education, most picture, you know. Molotov's black flag and <laughs> um, violence. When it's in actuality, one big punk rock show. Basically. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm down for like some Mad Max shit, but oh, you know. me me too, definitely. But <laughs> that's never gonna sell to the meat and potatoes crowd. Yeah, and, and, and nor should it. We are, we absolutely have the space for such things. But um, anarchy is everything from you know orthodox religious communities operating on their own non-coercively to you know like in your your most recent article my own private utopia you're talking about um what was it the um damn it the red uh, light republic was yes the second one that's the one <laughs> yeah and that's basically my idea for a queer society for a queer anarchist society that's very much based uh in kind of uh a syndicalist take on the sex work industry um the, also very artistic too uh, it's a mix of ballroom culture and and uh and syndicalism basically um this idea of you know different houses different chosen families running different business enterprises all within this kind of stateless tribal system. Yeah, and, and um, what I liked about it is, like, some people would hear that and they're like, oh my god, that's no way to raise a family. It's like, <laughs> this is not what we're fucking talking about. This is, like, no. like, a voluntary association of consenting adults who want to go and, like, this is their lifestyle, this is what they produce, this is their community, and these are their people. It, and, would, be, it would be adult families, chosen families. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't be the best place for children. I, <laughs> I, I, I admit, I readily admit that. And that's why I kind of make the comment towards the end of the paragraph on the Red Light Republic that some people will stay for a little while and then move on to something else more traditional. And other people will stick around and become elders of debauchery. Yeah, and it's like when, when I when I first like started reading that part of the article, Honestly, I have never read a single thing on queer anarchy, and that's to my detriment. Because I was like, I, I always wondered what it quite meant. But it's you know, I'm I'm as libertarian as I come. I'm like you know, say la vie, do your thing. Um, you know, as as long as it's not coercive, I'm cool with it. But I was just ignorant of what it actually was. And I started reading that, and I was like, that just sounds like Amsterdam, but more profitable and yeah. probably more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, how's it going guys? I just want to take a quick second to answer a question I get quite a bit these days. So a lot of people ask me, BR, how can I support what you do, your shows, and all that good stuff? The best way to do that is to check out my lifestyle brand, Liberty Punk Inc. Covering all of your niche political shirts, stickers, and flags needs. Everything from slaps that are weatherproof, can go on your car, go on your hydro flask, all that good stuff. To full-sized flags, you can fly outside your house, fly at rallies, present something a little bit different. Our Peace, Autonomy, and Liberty, or our Anarcho Betsy flag are always popular. We have a whole ton of clothing options too, of course, and you can stop wearing all that grunt-style shit and start wearing something that truly shows off your belief in actual liberty. Best way to find all that is to search Liberty Punk Inc. online 
or you can go directly to spiritofresistance.com, find the Liberty Punk Inc. collection, or you can follow the link in the description of any of my solo show videos and find my store that way. Every purchase supports me and what I do, Spirit Resistance, and we have a part for Liberty Community Issues. If you pick something up, feel free to tag me. Thanks for all your support, guys. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, Amsterdam isn't quite what it used to be from what I've heard. I, uh... Too many it's... gangsters. I I think it's too uh it's too polished these days. I think it's like a little bit too a little bit too friendly. It, it needs like a little bit more grime to it, you know. Like it's it's very safe. I'll give them that. But it needs like a little bit more grit for me. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, and, and to to just think about a marketplace of ideas where literally it's something because when you hear of like proposals for an anarchist society, what most people who are skeptical and want to like, you know, poke holes in everything you say, they're like, well, that doesn't sound, I'm not interested in that. It's like, you don't have to be. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing. <laughs> and you can, you can come up with the most insane propositions you like. And, you know, in our current society, you have to wedge that version into the current blanket authoritarian regime and hope you don't get your door kicked in for it and your dog shot <laughs> if, yeah. it's, if it falls under you know their particular rules or you know a, a completely voluntary system where no matter what you're interested in yeah you know, as long as it's not coercive it's possible as it should be you know yeah have you uh have you seen um do you know of michael malice i don't think so okay so he's uh more more on the right, like kind of a he went um pretty he was always libertarian, but now he's very anarchist centric. And he recently released a book called The Anarchist Handbook. And this is a guy who used to write kind of was like a political pundit and then went more into anarchism. And so people who've been following him since he was like, you know, commenting on uh the right and what the right's doing are now like, Oh, why are you writing about anarchists? And this guy he put together a collection of essays from like every anarchist out there, basically like, like a, a guy from most popular schools of thought um, and just put them all in one book. Like no, not like, Oh, this guy is a right wing anarchist. This guy's a left wing anarchist. Just put them all in a book together. And they all, of course, you know, contrast and um, uh, disagree with each other at some point, but it's um, that came out this year and it's, I think it's going to do a lot of good because he has so many younger fans, kind of like high school age, college age, and they're just getting this book of like a wealth of ideas from all sorts of different people from, you know, a few hundred years ago to the more modern era, like the sixties with Rothbard. And they're, they're getting a chance to make up their own mind instead of kind of uh, tumbling into a rabbit hole, whether it's a, a left anarchist or a right anarchist one. And uh, they they've, you know, able to scope this stuff out for the first time. So I'm pretty optimistic. Oh, and that was the number one seller on Amazon for like a day or so, which, you know, say what you want, Amazon selling anarchist books. It's it's a big fucking push for knowledge, you know, getting out there to people who aren't necessarily already anarchists. So yeah. I'm pretty I'm pretty optimistic for kind of the, the path we're on despite all the, the interference, but... I don't know, how do you feel when, when you talk about, um, you know, potentially missing our, our chance, our, our moment where there's like a real push for, um, something anarchist in nature? Well, there's two, there's two sides of me. Um, <laughs> and 
I'm probably going to fuck this quote up, but <laughs> that's what we old, do here. Old Marxist uh, thinker, Antonio Gramsci, uh, Italian guy. I'm probably butchering his name. Um, for all his bad ideas, he had some good ideas too. And he had a quote once that he's a pessimist by nature, but an optimist by will. I believe it was something to that effect. And that's kind of the take that I have. I don't, I don't see a lot of reason to rejoice. At the same time, the opportunities are still there, and I feel like I feel like th- that you have to push things, even if you're not sure they're going to succeed. Some things are just the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the way I feel about, you know, about, about anarchism. I don't see tons of people flocking to it. It's, there's movements that are way bigger, particularly on the left, unfortunately. A lot of people are, more and more people are kind of gravitating towards socialism, state socialism, uh, Bernie Sanders and AOC kind of stuff. Uh, and I see a lot of people in the queer community also gravitating towards that. At the same time, I strongly believe that the United States is not built to last. Mm. I, I don't see, I don't see us making it through another century without collapsing. Yeah. And I see that, moment of collapse as being both a crisis and an opportunity. So for me, I try to get the word out there for what I see as the best solution as loudly as I possibly can. And oftentimes I feel like I'm just grabbing random people in the street and screaming <laughs> in their face. Um, a lot of my friends are tired of fucking hearing it, uh, <laughs> but it's still something that I believe in. So I think it's when you have something that you really truly believe in, you have to fight for it, even if it's a losing battle. Uh, and that's not to say that I believe that it's necessarily a losing battle. Um, I just don't know if now is our moment. But regardless of it is, whether it is or not, I think you have to keep striking as if it is. Yeah. You have to keep striking the match, hoping that it lights. Yeah. I, I... Let me let me try and give you some of my optimism because I, despite I have some fucking dark days. Let me tell you where I, I look at the news and there's like eight new things that we have to be you know responding to in some way, and it's just like Jesus Christ, when does it end? But at the same time, every day I you know, even though I'm I'm not even on Instagram anymore because I've been banned because censorship's kicking up. Um, I, I see people over there doing awesome stuff, like making new things, um, you know, new organizations, new groups doing either active work or spreading knowledge and stuff in various ways. And then we have people doing more direct action stuff, you know, actually um, organizing and talking to other people, whether it's, uh, I think, Magnus Penvidja, he's talking about doing a anti-war protest in D.C. in September, which is, hmm. and, and when was the last time you heard of an anti-war protest? <laughs> is this the uh boogaloo guy who went on what's his name show yeah yeah and there was like lots of lots of everybody people. flipped out <laughs> yep, yeah yep. i uh i have yet to speak to him we've been we've been doing like 
Boogaloo or been involved in the Boogaloo community in some way or another since it, it started, but I've, I've never spoke to him yet. So we're, we're doing that soon. But um, yeah, like he, he really kicked things up on the left from what I saw, like, and he's not even your typical ANCAP. I think he's a mutualist, but you know, he comes from, or he's coming from like a, a libertarian movement yeah. and that whew, just like we're protesting police brutality. What is the problem? And yeah. do you do you remember any of the particular their issues or like their what their argument for opposing that stuff is? They argue for opposing Magnus himself. Well, like just being involved with that crowd or like any kind of unity. Well, there's just the the idea that people seem to believe that Boogaloo is some kind of all right movement. Mm. Uh, which even I was under the assumption of early on because that's all you hear is that you know far right boogaloo blah 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 you know and of course there's a couple of people who shot some people up and then and used the name but one day i went on twitter and just asked (laughs) straight up um if there's any boogaloo people out there what's the fucking deal yeah um is is this really a far right thing or is this something else entirely and the response i got was was really eye-opening to me i found that nearly every single person i talked to was pro queer rights pro black rights more or less favorable towards black lives matter if not completely for it um basically the impression that i got is that it was kind of a revival of the 90s militia movement only a bit more woke i suppose you could say <laughs> yeah which was interesting uh it, i'd never seen anything co- quite like it when i first encountered it it actually it it didn't did my heart a lot of good um i hope that there's still people that can still do something with that movement yeah. Because there I, are, were moments with it that it really looked like it could become something really fantastic. Yeah, I, I think it got bogged down with a lot of, um, you know, people people making friends a little bit too quick. And next thing they know, you know, Fred, who's making Molotovs with him, is actually uh, Fred the Federal Agent. And they're, yeah. they're fucked because they're manufacturing bombs you know on paper so yeah there, there was like a lot of um a lot of hesitancy all that energy kind of went <laughs> as everyone was like i am not yeah. doing 10 years uh you know just trying to find some people to hang out with on the weekend and make a difference um but i do think i, I think there's some promise that it needs to it needs to find a, a cocoon stage and like you know do some do some growing i think but yeah there was that was a big galvanizer for a lot of people who are like well, you know, politics is fucked. I don't believe in that anymore. So I guess this is it. And yeah, fortunately, people, a lot of people grew a bit more than that. But it was, um, it was a hell of a response to the times, you know, like <laughs> actually getting out there because right wing people do not protest. At least they didn't used to, you know, that's a very, yeah. very modern thing. And I, I don't think people do do the phenomena that much credit when they talk about that thing, you know. Whether it's mega protesters or, or like um, anti-lockdown stuff or like militia stuff, like uh, gun rights protesting, that just didn't really happen until the last few years, you know. And and beyond the um, 
you know, like Proud Boy and Patriot Prayer stuff. Because that was just that was just street brawling, you know. That was yeah, not, not so much political as I want to thump my enemy in the face when we're you know looking for action, basically. Yeah, Fight Club types. It it really was Fight Fight Club with flags. <laughs> yeah, and naturally, it turns out that like seventy five percent of them were working for the federal government. <laughs> yep. That was that was another thing that kind of killed this um this boogaloo thing because a few people who were like genuine organic boogaloo boys, you know, um got flipped at some point and it was revealed they were working for the feds. Or they, they turn into um what do you call it? Uh informants. <laughs> and that 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 happens with every movement, yeah. unfortunately. Um as soon as things begin to have momentum the feds get involved and tear it up i don't know if we've come up with a way to properly protect ourselves from that unfortunately it's it's just consistency it's that old bastard you know you gotta you gotta keep it decentralized because there was there was times when people were like okay well i think the boog needs a uniform it's like jesus christ listen (laughs) listen to yourself and and unfortunately that was like kind of one of the the killers because Anyone who's showing up to like a BLM protest in a Hawaiian shirt, it's like, hey, that guy's a Nazi, you know, like, like <laughs> and you're fucked. What are you gonna do? Um, yeah. That's not gonna end well for you. And um, or if you show up to a fucking protest, hey, what's your? You're an anarchist? Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite anarchist? Uh, Rothbard. He's a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was hampered by just like rigid ideas i think rather than sticking to decentralized stuff which it whatever the strength is at the beginning it's usually decentralization and then that gets lost as, as this thing gets bigger as people make like websites to organize on and you know all yeah. sorts of things like that it just it's just like okay well now you've given a free membership card to anyone who wants to look into this stuff so i I, I really I really wish people would keep their keep their groups small, you know, people they know and keep it all private unless you need to do something, you know. Yeah. But unfortunately we live in a you know, a instant gratification age and a social media age where, you know, you have to take selfies and you have to be an identity and then you get in trouble. <laughs> and then and then your progress goes to zero. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately that that's also how you spread a movement too no you're very right it's so it's kind of a catch-22 yeah it's you know you want to make the movement big enough to succeed but as soon as it becomes big enough to succeed it's big enough to be fucked with yeah it turns into a sieve <laughs> like yeah um and oh sorry i was just gonna say that i don't know that we have a universal answer for how to handle that because it keeps happening yeah it's been it's been happening going back to the panthers back to cointelpro i think it something i've been i've been considering is the you know legitimate front and the i don't want to say illegitimate front but the kind of behind the scenes people and (laughs) to, to freak out um the people in langley listening the IRA did a very interesting job of this, where they had, you know, um, the Irish Parliament, the actual Irish Parliament, who are always on the run, even though they were the ones, you know, supposedly who were in power. And then you had the IRA actually going and doing direct action stuff. Yeah, and I, I think you need arm a light in the ballot box. I yeah, they call that. And it, it's like you have to have an official front that's like, okay, 
this is what we are. We will speak nice to you, and we want a peaceful solution. Will you please give us a peaceful solution? Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, you... the answer is always boot to the face, no conversation. But <laughs> that's what the direct action people are for. Yeah, you kind of you kind of need both. You need a synergistic approach to things. Uh, you need basically you, you kind of need a pacifist wing, and then you need kind of a militia wing in case things get too hairy. Yeah, it, basically a self defense, peaceful not harmless. Kind of, That's what I'm, yeah, what I'm all about. And of course, you know, like they they try their damnedest to uh, discredit that that mentality and paint us as you know. One, uh, on the left and right, uh, always out for blood. You know, it's either brick-throwing lefties or, you know, gun-toting body armor, uh, right-wing militias when, when these people are protesting police brutality and people being shot. <laughs> yeah. And, and in their spare time, protesting wars um, and, and civil rights. But, yeah, it, it has to come to a point where there's, like, a permanent structure. And I think... Uh, what I've always liked is publications where you have people, you know, who are very all about these ideas, like doing what you do, putting it into words, something that you can go back to and be like, these ideas do exist, you know? And that's, that's me. Uh, I'm the idea person. <laughs> I'm, I'm a recovering agoraphobic, uh, crowds. I do not handle myself well in a crowd. You would not want to hand me a gun. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wouldn't know what the fucking do with it. Um, I have. I am interested in learning, uh, but not in a crowd situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, hold this for a minute. <laughs> so, so I do what I can with my writing. I see that as as the best I can do. Yeah. Um, it's you know relying on on what strengths I have to make up for the weaknesses I have. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm not super involved with, with marching, protesting, rioting, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm working on recovering, uh, but I'm not at, I'm not at a level of mental health where I would be particularly useful in that situation. Well, yeah, that, that's something we will have to, you know, decide for ourselves where where our efforts are best used. So I stick, I stick to the pen. I stick with that because that's that works for me. That's that comes easy to me, uh, whereas other things do definitely do not. <laughs> yeah, um, and I. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's no, no big deal. Um, I don't even know if I had anything to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, just, just free, you know, go for it. <laughs> um, so how did you, uh, I'm interested in how you kind of softened on ideas like agorism and even like coming across someone like Rothbard. Um, like how, how do you, being as no one in your, you know, your conventional circles would be shoving that in front of your face. How do you, how do you come across that organically? Uh, well, around the time when I was, um, beginning to recover, I spent the first half of my twenties as a shut in. Mm. Um, and my first step kind of in interacting with the outside world was on the message boards of antiwar.com. Oh, nice. Um, 
I was uh, far left at the time when I first started. I was uh, essentially a, a communist. I was very pro Hugo Chavez, uh, very big on the pink tide and all that. I still have some soft spots for third world socialism that don't rub out completely. I, <laughs> I, I still get a little teary eyed about Che Guevara. Oh Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I, I realize that that's, that's definitely a weak spot, but hey, I own it. No judgment. I once, and my listeners know this. I once, uh, appreciated a British cops, thin blue line patch. I said, nice patch officer. So we, <laughs> we all come a very fucking long yeah. way. <laughs> but so I, I started off as being kind of this commie kid on the boards of antiwar.com. I love Justin Raimondo's work, even though he was very conservative. He did the best stuff on foreign policy that I I had read uh, consistently, and he, he two three times a week he would do articles on whatever was going on. And uh, towards the end, he went a little bit pro Trump, which was unfortunate. Mm. Um, but he was still one of the best writers on foreign policy, and I kind of became active on the message board there. And a lot of the people on the message board, the antiwar.com's message board, particularly back when Ramondo was still alive, was very diverse. There, you would have leftists, socialists, communists. You would have a lot of libertarians. You would have paleoconservatives, old right conservatives, and a smattering of anarcho-capitalists. And I began interacting with all these different people, and I began finding that I had more and more in common with uh the anarcho-capitalist crowd than i expected to mm. uh because everything i knew about politics was capitalism bad um what i knew about capitalism was it, it was basically what most ancaps know about communism it's the statist version of it yeah and you kind of assume that it, it all goes that way but i met a number of people on that board who kind of encouraged me in my writing, but also encouraged me to kind of explore uh, politics and ideology. Um, And uh, I discovered more and more that the things that they were saying made more more and more sense to me. I, I couldn't really refute the idea of agorism is is kind of it, it's very ideologically pure. It's kind of hard to argue with. Mm. It's 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 like arguing with Gandhi. Uh, the idea is basically don't force anything on anybody ever. Yeah. And I found it harder and harder to refute that. Uh, so I gradually kind of began to embrace elements of it and kind of mix in my leftism. In along with it uh, because one thing a lot of people don't know is that essentially that model of anarcho-capitalism it kind of allows the existence of any kind of society as long as it's voluntary uh, and I found it hard to kind of argue uh, to argue with that uh, to argue, you know there's there's part of me that that likes the idea of taxes you know that likes the idea of of 
holding up the rich. But at the same time, uh, as was kind of pointed out to me, when you give one group of people a monopoly on that use of force, you create a class. Yeah. Uh, and that's essentially what's happened in every single state socialist society is that they haven't really replaced the class. Well, they, they haven't really gotten rid of the class system. They've replaced it with a different class system. Yeah. Um, Rejigging so, labels and such. Yeah. <laughs> and so authority. <laughs> the pe- exactly. And, you know, you go from having a czar to having a czar with a red star in his chest. Yeah. Um, so, and more and more of that kind of, kind of got in. Uh, and I kind of took a second look at, at my beliefs and I, I've kind of grown to see a lot of, uh, the ideology of that section of the anarchist movement as, as good tactics for, even for anti-capitalism, uh, to create anti-capitalist societies in which people are not forced, uh, to live that way. Um, and it, it, when I came across panarchy, it was, it was interesting because I, even though I had been an anarchist kind of on and off throughout my, my life, uh, there was always a part of me in the back of my head that was saying, yeah, that's not going to fucking work. <laughs> but when I first kind of heard about panarchy and the way that wor- worked, it was kind of like a light bulb moment where all this makes sense. Uh, the idea of people being able to kind of choose their government, uh, I could see it actually working. I, it was more than just a pipe dream. I could see it. I could, I could see it actually coming to fruition. Um, so that was probably that was probably the biggest step w- with me is was learning about panarchism. Um, yeah, like it, it's rather than because we we both you know start out with uh, this monolithic idea. Even if you're coming into anarchism, if it's you know the the big blanket thing of anarcho communism or anarcho capitalism, you're like, okay, well now I'm looking into this new monolithic idea. Do we have all of the answers? Yeah. And, you know, sure, maybe if you're like the perfect, um, you know, drone of theory and you, you know, you know exactly how to set up your life so you can live within this system. But it's like, that's not really what anarchism should be, surely. Yeah. It's, it's everyone self-governing and, it doesn't, and choosing. It doesn't, of... it doesn't work either. It's, yeah. Because <laughs> you're, you're always going to have people that are conservative, that are religious, that are going to want to live in their own lifestyle at the same time the one universal thing to some extent is that everybody wants to be left to fuck alone yeah um and that's panarchism kind of offered that that idea that we could all kind of be left the fuck alone together (laughs) what a beautiful Um, concept and it it I've explained it to people that aren't anarchists before, 
And they've told me, you know, that I remember one friend of mine saying something to the effect that that's the most optimistic take on anarchism I've ever heard. It's the consistent mo- one. <laughs> so, most people, it's, it's, you know, it's fire and bombs and yeah. eventually we're all going to you know, join the same union somehow, <laughs> um, which just, it's, it's, it's just not realistic. And the biggest, the problems, the biggest problems with any society, and I think we kind of touched on this by accident, uh, is size. Yeah. I, when things get too big, anything can get fucked up when it gets too big. Oh yeah. You just, it, um, it becomes diluted and it, you know, you forget the original intention and that's, what you know certain people hope for they hope to hijack the wheel when no one's looking yeah and the idea is to kind of keep things as small as possible and to kind of spread the word of smallness and to kind of ask people well what kind of anarchist are you what kind of anarchism would you want uh if if you can imagine the government having its its boot off of your neck what would you want to see? Yeah. And kind of encouraging that and encouraging that kind of creativity of kind of uh, thinking outside of the box of kind of being your own kind of anarchist. Um, and I think, I think my gender identity probably influenced me a bit too having a somewhat fluid gender identity uh i i kind of had to come to terms with the fact that i was never going to fit into one single space that i had to kind of define my own gender i had to kind of become my own species and more and more i as i've kind of embraced that with my personal life i've embraced that politically as well yeah, that's that's something I I hadn't even considered. Like, being a, a poor English student, I hadn't considered the pan part of panarchy for whatever reason. I was just like, <laughs> when when I first heard of the term, my in my ignorance, I was like, is that some kind of like collapsitarian thing? It's like panicarchy, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then I I actually fucking did some reading, thank God, and and, and you you know explain with the the gender identity thing. It it makes obviously a lot more sense, and I'm sure a lot of listeners who haven't heard the term um it makes a lot more sense now but i liked how you put it uh in your article uh panarchy a school of stateless thought that looks to a future of a diverse array of anarchist societies rather than preaching the virtues of a single monolithic vision for the future it's like yep that's yeah we need so much more of i mean i thought we were we were about individualism you know yeah in some sense like every anarchist can say they're for individualism in some sense you know and to think that was ever like lacking from the conversation is kind of troubling. <laughs> it still is in a lot of conversations, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I see it a lot. I see it a lot on a lot more on the left uh, than I do on the right, and that makes that makes me very sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when, when when the the right the right anarchists are figuring this out, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's. I found more acceptance for some of my more idiosyncratic ideas among the libertarian section of anarchism than I have on the leftist side of anarchism. Yeah. Uh, 
and that's that didn't used to be the case you know that was there you had people like emma goldman who who thought radically outside of the box you know who ch- championed both kropotkin and nietzsche hmm. you know it, it's it used to be that that leftism was the bastion of individualism you know it's i grew up a lot uh I feel like I grew up in the nineties, but I feel like part of me grew up in the 1960s and seventies too. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom had a vintage clothing store in our basement and I would always go through the old magazines and read about people like Abby Hoffman and Huey Newton and the Yippies Youth International Party and a lot of the kind of fringe elements. They were fringe elements, but they had a huge impact on culture and society at large. Uh, but back then, the left was about individualism. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like we've somewhere along the line, we've kind of lost that. Uh, and I hope we can get it back. Yeah, it's... I, I'm, ho- you know, again, being an optimist, I'm hoping for some kind of rekindling of this you know, bottom unity. I hope people can start to learn something from one another. And I, I hope more people start to, you know, be less shy about reaching across this imaginary aisle between us and, you know, talk to someone who doesn't particularly sound like you and who's doing something, you know, talking about different things in the same movement. And hopefully we'll see this kind of loss of collective shaming and, and, uh, you know, we'll get back to um, individualism being something that's important. You know, like you, yeah. you're a you're a unique individual person with unique thoughts and unique, possibly unique solutions to shit no one else has thought of. And why why would we why would we ever run away from that and you know want the the approval of the majority? Which you see, uh, that's what happened with the you know divide and conquer stuff, like. Uh, when we saw unmarked feds grabbing people in Portland because they're rioting, <laughs> like a few, a few so-called anarchists on the right are like, "Oh, good, they got those Antifa people." And it's like, what the yeah. fuck? You were just you you were just posting something about being afraid of you know your door getting kicked in in the same it's unmarked feds. The liter the literal <laughs> black helicopter scenario is actually happening, and you're cheering yep. for it. Yeah, that yeah, that's what drove me up the fucking wall. And then and then of course you see the same thing where like some boogaloo guys get arrested, and you see left wing even like like I saw people with you know black and red flag profile pictures cheering that on. It's like come the fuck on. Yeah, and I've I've I have I've I focus a lot on the left because that's where I come from. Yeah. But I have heard from friends on the right that they've experienced the same thing. Oh, yeah. Where back in the '90s, everybody was protesting Waco, and now they're all calling for another police state. Yeah, uh, you go from from basically fuck the feds to turning cops into religious figures, into this kind of bizarre police worship. Yeah. Blue Lives Matter kind of shit. Which... I, it, it's gotten to the point of absurdity where, you know, you saw thin blue line flags at the January 6th. Uh, yeah. I, and, and being right, and because I, I have to call it an exaggerated uh, or a, <laughs> a a rowdy picnic or something, you know. But um, people have their own opinions. But a bunch of boomers taking phones in the Capitol is not quite a riot. I've seen better riots. 
it was it was a sl- it was a sloppy ride. <laughs> it, was, it was six out of ten. It, I mean, the cops let them in. It was pretty weak shit. But it did it did not strike me as something that was planned. No, uh, because I remember th- there was a lot of there was a lot of action outside of the building. But once everybody got inside of the building, if you pay attention there's a lot of people just wandering around like the first day of middle school Did you see them walking between like the the red rope banisters and all that <laughs> just just kind of staring and, and and kind of saying okay now what self-guided tour with like a few things knocked over <laughs> and i you know i was i was yelling at the screen you know <laughs> if, if, if this was antifa they oh it would have been swat teams like <laughs> well, either either that or they would still be there. They would have set up a camp in there. They'd be smoking pot in the, in the someone, rotundum. Someone did light a joint in the rotundum. Well, God bless them. I, I, I was like, that's, that's probably the first <laughs> time in a few hundred years it's happened. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> since since the Carter years, at least. <laughs> that's, that's true. I'm sure it hasn't been that long. Um, damn, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll lean on this instead. So... Seeing as, you know, we're trying to we're trying to build some bridges here a little bit and try and get people to leave the tribalism with their voting years. Um, if there was anything you could say to ANCAPs, like a lot, a lot of like like young ANCAP guys and uh, agorists, people who come recovering conservatives, listen to this show, and they might be like, you know, how the fuck am I meant to make nice with with uh, left anarchists? You know, we're we're always screaming at each other. Um, is there anything you'd have to say to them? Anything in particular you could kind of say to put them at ease about trying to get down that path? You have the same enemies. Yes. The same people are, are targeting us. Uh, they don't see the difference between us, and they have no problem collaborating with each other. The so-called right and the left, uh, who are really just the center right and the center left, have absolutely no pr- problem working with each other. Uh, people you see on C-SPAN, they get together after the cameras are turned off and they have a drink and a laugh at our expense. Those people have no problem with working together to fucking destroy us. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should work together to survive. Yeah. Um, that would probably be the best suggestion that I could come up with. That and that and don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> I, I tell that to, to, to anybody. Because uh, that's that's when people become preachy and boring. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 100%. We, you get some people who like go a little bit too hard on the, the martyr juice. And you're like, whoa, whoa, we're all just we're all just fucking idiots calling out a war machine. All right. <laughs> we need we need that energy. And. That's what discredits them the most. When you stand on top of a hill and you have your flag and your rifle slung on your back and you're, you know, sitting there making, making speeches, calling out, you know, and, and shit is evil. There's, there's a time for seriousness, but at the same yeah, time, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of it myself. Oh yeah. Cause we get, we, we have some righteous fucking anger. <laughs> yeah. 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 And some of my blog pieces, I, I get very histrionic with it. Uh, I, I get very big on the, you know, let's kick some fucking ass part of the aspect. In fact, I think I've ended at least a half dozen blog posts with that line <laughs> alone. Um, but it's 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 important 
to remember that you're just a human being and the guy on the other side is just a human being too. Yeah. I, um, something I wanted to touch on was a, a pull from your, um, Anarchist Without Objectives article. And that was, uh, how, how you described how ANCOMs and ANCAPs think of each other. And I think it's, I think it's a good moment of unity to laugh at ourselves. Um, so, according to your average ANCOM keyboard gorilla, an anarcho-capitalist is a greedy, self-absorbed, commodity fetishist who wants nothing less perverse than to hand over the reins of power to major corporations and usher in a new era of puppy-eating social Darwinism. <laughs> and according to your average ANCAP social media maven, an anarcho-communist is but a knuckle-dragging, quasi-Maoist rube out to round up everybody's private property and declare the year zero. And I'll add to that, and then put you up against the wall for daring to own a toothbrush. (laughs) (laughs) I I fucking love that so much, and I I, I need to, like, plaster that as my Twitter banner or something for a little bit, but um, so many people just need to be like, look, look at yourself, we're all fucking anxiety-riddled, like, (laughs) <laughs> um basement dwelling types let's let's We're take all weirdos yeah we a hundred fucking percent when you uh like you describe yourself um as like a a green-haired punk vagabond i was like oh fuck maybe we're not so different i i, I, I i've uh when, when the fucking shows are on i i like to have a, a green mohawk going and uh yeah i i fucking dig that and i was like wow <laughs> unity is possible yeah I, I want to see more people talking to, you know, the other camp. I want to see more people figuring out the similarities, what the, if your differences really are inconceivable or if they're actually quite silly in the grand scheme of things. I mean, what I always say is until we actually start making a difference, we are LARPing and that's pretty fucking embarrassing. Like yeah. <laughs> until we're talking about real coalitions and like, it doesn't even have to be like, like handshaking and oh we have three ancoms and three ancaps in this you know at, at the head of this thing it's like no no, no. just fucking quit wasting your time on each other quit oh, remember who the enemy is a hundred percent like do you hate the state yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's i think some people just spend so much time on it they forget what they came for <laughs> seriously yeah and some people unfortunately just came for a fight and they get it wherever they can get it yeah uh and that's the unfortunate that's the unfortunate side of it is that some people join movements just for the action yeah it's like a a wardrobe change shedding republican or democrat for ancom or ancap and then you just carry on doing the same thing it's like how about we try something different yeah it's uh... Is the, you see kids who you know got turned on to neo Nazism because they were pissed off and want to beat yep. people up, then they reject neo Nazism and they go over to Antifa and they just want to beat people up. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, even if it's just their old friends that they used to hang out with, you know. Hey, I know where these guys hang. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's. Some people are not in it for the right reasons. No. Yeah. And it's, I, I think most, again, my optimism, I think most can be taught to see what the bullshit is and what's, what's a good use of your time. What's a healthy use of your time. And a yeah. Use of your time. Yeah. And there's a time and space for aggression. Don't get me wrong. Oh, a hundred percent. But 
some people just seriously need to buy a punching bag until <laughs> it's ready to come to that. Yeah, do do some fucking yoga, punch some stuff, and then reevaluate. <laughs> yeah. Do you really want to be in a street gang, or do you want to do you want to try and make some fucking change around here? Yeah. Oh. Um. Well, damn. I have really enjoyed this. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go? Mm, nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Cool, cool. All right. Um, so we can find you to your blog, Exile in Happy Valley. Exileinhappyvalley.blogspot.com, yes. And that's going to be in the description as well as a page to your uh, contributions on Counterpunch Inc. or counterpunch.org. Uh, anywhere else we can find you? Twitter? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. They haven't banned me yet completely. <laughs> Damn, you have you've done well avoiding that that Zuck. They've they've I've been kicked off a number of times, but they haven't they haven't got me in a while. Christ. The ironic thing is the main thing that they nail me for is describing myself as a tranny. <sighs> I've been kicked off of Facebook like four times for that reason. And there's nobody to complain to about that. They claim there is, but it's just it's a big black hole where you stick your, your letters. Yeah. Because uh, there's supposed to be an exception there for people using it as a term of endearment. Yeah. But I'm still on Facebook. That's still probably where I'm most active. As long as you describe yourself how they approve. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, all right. Yeah. Uh, go, go find Nikki Reed. Um, thank you for, thank you for coming on and, um, always open door. Really, really enjoyed talking about this stuff. And it's, it's like a breath of sanity because you're the first, uh, first left anarchist I've officially had on the show. So hopefully not the last. No, I, I hope, I hope not to. Um, we've got Magnus Pinvidja coming on our other podcast and then he's going to talk like book stuff he, he's he's in the middle he's a mutualist they're like they're trying to yeah trying to straddle stuff um but yeah thank you so much for coming on uh check out nick reed and we'll see you next time